Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. Our sermon text today is our epistle reading from Hebrews 13, reading a few portions again from the first eight verses. Let love of the brethren continue. Show hospitality to strangers. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. Remember those who led you. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I'm not an antique enthusiast, not even close. But I do, though, like the look of well-made old things that have an interesting shape, color, history, or craftsmanship. And I like the way that my wife incorporates old stuff into the decor of our home. And so from time to time, Gina Lee and I will make a trip to the antique store, usually looking for a particular something that will be given as a gift or fill some specific need in our home. Now, what's obvious about antique stores is that people don't go there to find bargains. There aren't many to be found. No, people go to antique stores to find old stuff and to find nostalgia. Mostly to find nostalgia, I think. Stuff that was once part of ordinary daily life is now offered up for sale as an antique, often for vastly more than it cost when it was brand new. The other thing obvious about antique stores is that the things have that is that things have really changed a lot over the last century or even the last half century. When you walk up and down the aisles, you see stuff that used to matter but not so much anymore. Everything changes. The chores, the pastimes, the amusements, the tools of yesteryear are now mostly obsolete relics. Great for decorating, great for nostalgia, but little else. For many people, the church is the very essence of what is out of date and antique, a vast depository of all that is quaint, musty, archaic, largely irrelevant, and obsolete. And yet even in the church, things have changed dramatically in the last few generations. Some of you had parents or grandparents who worshipped only in German, or maybe Finnish, or Slovak, or Latin. And there was a time not so long ago when women and children occupied one set of pews and all the men sat on the other side of the church. The standard church wardrobe has gone from suits and dresses and hats to whatever is most comfortable or fun to wear. And of course, musical styles and architectural fashion and worship formats have also changed a lot with the passage of time. Even in the church, things have changed over the years. 
And yet, for all the changes that we witness in our world around, in another sense, there is a great deal that remains exactly the same. Yes, seasons still run their annual course and deliver their predictable surprises. And land and seas and forests and grasses remain pretty much the same today as they have been for centuries or even millennia. And yet above all, one of the things that never changes but just stays the same is people. Since the beginning of time, people haven't changed. People today are defined and driven by the same basic needs, desires, hopes, and sins that have always defined and driven people. The truth is that the more things change, the more they stay the same. At least the more people stay the same. We can talk about the rapid changes in the world and even about the supposed vast differences between different generations, but it's all superficial. At heart, people are people and are the same today as they have always been. And that's why the Bible is a timeless book. The people it addressed with God's truth a few millennia ago are fundamentally no different than the people who read it today. And so it is that the words from Hebrews chapter 13 still speak with authority and insight for our lives in 2019. The author of this book deals in his writing with some rather weighty matters of theology. It's a long letter. But now in this last chapter, he turns his attention to some practical matters. And he fires off a quick series of exhortations meant to challenge and motivate his readers, which include you and me. He ticks off six different areas of Christian growth, and it is remarkable how absolutely relevant every single one of them is to us today. He deals first with Christian fellowship. It's a command. Keep on loving each other, or more specifically, keep on loving other Christians. We're not talking here about the superficial smiles and polite conversations you have with your friends at church. No, this is love as a decision, deliberately and purposefully to care about other people. It is sacrificial love that sets aside personal goals and needs for the good of others. This was a vital practice in the New Testament world when Christians lived as a small minority surrounded by pagans. And it is a vital practice in our world when, like it or not, our reality is increasingly the same. Hospitality is the second emphasis, the one closely related to sharing Christian love. But it has an essential aspect to it of giving of yourself for others in a tangible way. This was a vital virtue in the ancient world, especially for travelers. For us, this means going out of your way to help others, again, especially other believers who are in need. Hospitality means giving up some of your comfort and your convenience and embracing what is inconvenient to yourself so that others will not have to suffer. Number three on the list is compassion. Compassion and concern for the other is the driving force behind risking our safety for the sake of someone else. Our Christian brothers from the first century were frequently on the wrong side of the law and not infrequently imprisoned because of their faith. But these Christians were not forgotten. Other Christians would visit them 
and meet their needs, even when that came at great risk to themselves. That's what compassion does. Well, the next three admonitions take a turn in a rather more personal direction, and the author becomes almost uncomfortably invasive in what he demands of us. Marriage, he says, should be honored, and he directs that sexuality should be treated as the sacred gift within marriage that God created it to be. And given the gross disregard for God's will in this area in our culture, this hardly needs any explanation of the relevance it has for our lives. And yet refusing to participate in the licentious standards and practices of the world is only the beginning for a Christian. This command also means building and growing a Christ-centered marriage and one that pleases God and honors him while it serves others. Quite a challenge. The fifth exhortation hits another sensitive subject, personal finances. Contentment is so often in short supply And it seems that Christians are as ready and able to live in financial debt and chaos as just about everyone else. And of course, this is more than a matter of mismanaging money. It is a matter of faith. It's an issue of not trusting God and not obeying God, who promises to provide all that we need. Well, the list is getting long and hard, but there's one more, number six, we need to still consider. And that is that we are to follow the example of saints who have gone before us. We all know real people who lived lives of selfless sacrifice for the sake of others. We all know people who emulated the virtues of those who follow Christ. And you and I, we are called to get in step and do no less in our lives than walk the path that they walked. The six admonitions are 2,000 years old but the demands they make on us are as fresh and relevant as the first time they were heard in a first century worship service. So much has changed since then, and yet so much has stayed exactly the same. And one of the things that is the same, I'm sure, is the sense of embarrassment, conviction, and guilt that emerges when the admonitions are heard and understood. These words, I'm sure, convicted first-century believers, and they convict you and me. Some things never change. Too often, we would rather share some gossip about a fellow believer rather than share words to encourage him. Our selfish schedules and our activities don't leave much room for hospitality. It's inconvenient. Real compassion, that demands too much. It's expensive. And working on a God-honoring marriage seems sometimes like an impossible task, always out of reach. Practicing contentment and self-control, that's unpleasant, sometimes painful, especially when everyone else seems to be indulging in everything. And striving to follow examples of Christian virtue, it's overwhelming. Who can do that? You're not a saint, right? It's hard. God expects so much, and he does, he does expect it. And you know you're not doing it. You'd like to, you really really would like to. You'd like 
to change and do more of the things that God expects. You'd like to change a lousy attitude. You'd like to change a bad habit. You'd like to change a destructive way of thinking. But it seems like no matter how hard you try, you just can't do it. Try as you may, you can't. You can't change. And that's the truth. You can't. You can't change. You can try. But I guarantee you, you are doomed to failure. It's not going to happen. Some things never change. People don't change. God doesn't change. His expectations for you do not change. His standards don't shift or bend. The word of God that convicted our ancestors and our forefathers still convicts us today. God's commands don't change. But neither does his grace. You can't change. It's true. You can't. But God can change you. He can that's what grace does. The writer of Hebrews lays down six tough, comfort-threatening challenges. And what hope does he offer you in meeting those? Only one. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. In other words, the only way you will ever change and actually do the things that God calls you to do is when the changeless Christ is at work changing you. Nothing else is going to make it happen. Nothing. Therapy will not do it. Medicine will not make the change. No 12-step program is going to accomplish it. No life coach, no self-help book, no sheer determination and new resolve on your part is going to make it happen. Nothing is going to keep you from failing God and help you start following God. Nothing except Christ at work in you. The love and the grace of Jesus are constant. His promises do not fail, ever. And he promises to be at work in you. The world changes constantly. Christ changes never. He does what he says. And what he says is that he will be with you always. And he tells you that when he lives in you, then nothing is impossible. And so the things that you truly can never change, he can and does change. He changes you. He does it. You can't do it, but he can. When he is at work in you with his grace, you are not the old you anymore. You are remade, truly changed. So why is it then? that if Jesus is at work in you, you keep on falling flat and failing to be what God calls you to be? Why do you still feel like an obsolete, hopelessly outdated relic from the past that is beyond change and for whom no updates are available? Well, maybe it's because you're trying too hard to do the work on your own, not relying on Christ and his grace to be at work in you. Perhaps you're focusing too much on yourself 
and not on Christ and on the work he gives you to do. Christ can change you. He can do what you can't do. Jesus loves to browse through the antique shop called the church, and he finds all kinds of fascinating old junk there. But it's just junk, worthless, not even good for decorating. I mean, no one needs more unchanging, broken people cluttering up their lives. But Jesus does not collect old and odd pieces of this junk for the sake of nostalgia or because he likes it the way it is. No, he collects it to salvage it, transform it, perfect it, and change it forever. Jesus takes old, rusted antiques that can't change and then changes them into something brand new, exceedingly useful and infinitely precious. He does miracles of transformation. When Christ is at work, an old, faded, torn, musty, rusty, and stained antique is changed and becomes the newest, the best, the most useful, priceless creation of God. That's what Jesus does in you. He changes you. Christ does it. With his changeless love and grace, he works in you and he changes you. He makes the same old you, you who fails at fellowship, hesitates in hospitality, who complains about compassion, messes up marriage building, mismanages money, and quits following when it gets hard. He takes you, an old, failed antique, and he changes you into a brand new person who can and who does change. He does it. He does it with the power of his unchanging grace. Jesus, who never changes, changes you, who could never hope to change yourself. He changes you so that you can begin to learn to follow the challenges and exhortations of God's perfect will. Don't be content to be just another old antique surrounded by other obsolete and unchanging relics from a bygone time. You are not destined to be one more piece of old junk suspended from the ceiling of a theme restaurant or parked on someone's mantle. You are destined to be the new creation of Christ. He makes the change. He makes it now. It's true. Some things never change. Jesus never changes. But by his grace, you most certainly do change. Amen. Lord God, do what I cannot do. Fill me with the grace of Jesus and change me so that I can be the new creation you desire me to be and do what you call me to do. Amen.